0: A reading from the book of Isaiah. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make me righteous and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. The word of the Lord.
1: Reading from the letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, starting with verse 25. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Lord Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him. And without him, nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life. And this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony, to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came to be through him. But the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to those who did accept him, he gave power to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not by natural generation, nor by human choice, nor by a man's decision, but of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, The one who is coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. From his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace. Because while the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only Son God, who is at the Father's side, has revealed him. The Gospel of our Lord.
3: Good, to you, Lord Christ. Good morning and Merry Christmas. <laughs> I love this because uh, it constantly reminds me of my grandmother uh, who is 97 and celebrating Christmas this morning up in the Chicago area. I know. And uh, grandma always was one to remind us being the good Episcopalian that she was and is, um, that Christmas is a season, not a day. And so growing up, it was constantly drilled into our heads, Christmas is a season, kids. Not a day, Christmas is a season. So it was Merry Christmas for 12 days until Epiphany. Um, These are things that you, when you grow up in it, you don't necessarily appreciate it (laughs) as much because all the other kids are, you know, everybody's focused on Christmas Day and the presents and the gifts and all that stuff. And it was always drilled by Grandma and Grandpa and my mom and dad, um, but mostly Grandma and Grandpa, Christmas is a season. It's not just a day. And it is. And that's this is the one Sunday after Christmas, and it is so such an honor to be able to be here and to to talk with you and, and to, to teach this morning. Um, historically, this season was very important. It was a, a season of reflection of, Of uh, spiritual gifts that were given to especially to kids uh, in the church that after the Christmas day there would still be (laughs) spiritual activity going on in the homes especially uh, to try to reflect on the importance of the incarnation. Uh, It also kind of served somewhat of a functional purpose, some say, that it kind of bridged the gap between the liturgical calendar and the secular calendar, the Julian calendar. The, we have New Year, and, and this week, I mean, today is New Year's Eve. So for us, it's actually also the beginning. We're on the cusp of a new calendar. Uh, so there is so much to talk about, and this is one of my favorite passages that Jessica just read, um, growing up in the Episcopal Church, I'm pretty sure this was the same text read every single uh, Christmas Sunday. Um, and even as bored as I might have been sometimes, there's something about this John 1-1 that always got my attention. It's so cosmic and almost psychedelic. It always blew my mind. It would always get my attention. So to be able to be with you and and do this this morning, on this day, at this time, is really, really special and um, this year, this has been a really challenging year for me in a lot of ways. And this Christmas season has been different because the last several years we've gone from a season of COVID where it felt like we were all home. <laughs> we were all home for a long time. So what difference was it to be home for Christmas? This year I've worked a lot. I've been out of the house working a lot. I've been studying a lot. And so having a break felt different. It, it was weird to be home it's been strange to be home after a year of being out and working a lot. Um, this Christmas, having a season has been, has been important for me, and I'm trying to sit in it and think and reflect and do this stuff. And so having this job today for you has helped me. It's helped me sit and think and read and pray and and wonder what what is the value. Maybe we need more than one day for this. Uh, there's three themes of... Christmas tide that I think are kind of common in the culture, uh, light, life, and love. And lights, you know, we see it. I don't know if any of you guys have neighbors that put up, or maybe it's you. Uh, maybe you're that neighbor. Um, we have some neighbors that we wish we could get a remote and kind of turn the lights off at some point because they leave them on all night long. But lights are, are really common with Christmas time, you know. Um, I think it goes back to the fact that this is a dark time of the year, and so Christmas lights are they bring a little joy. Um, I forget what Michelle calls it. When, what do you call it when the, when we turn on the Christmas lights, they're the, there's like the comfort, they bring comfort, there's something different. We kind of leave some of them up all year because they're, <laughs> we need a little bit of that all the time. And it seems like Christmas lights have become an element of decoration all the time. But there's something different about at Christmas time, there's a lot of lights. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Life, I think historically this is a dark, this is a dead time of year. The trees have lost most of their leaves. The nature seems to be sleeping. I think throughout a lot of human history, people have wondered how many people we're gonna lose over this season. It's a hard time to survive. We don't might face that same kind of fear this in our day and age, but it is a season of sleeping and death. So life is a is a a theme of Christmas time, and we see it in the colors, we see it in the greenery, we see elements of trying to bring that theme of life in and then love my gosh just the from the surfacy kind of love of hallmark christmas movies and netflix stuff and romantic comedies to the sincere stuff the the people we miss the people we love and we gather with at christmas time uh giving and receiving gifts there's so much about love at christmas time so light life and love uh another reason it can be really difficult for a lot of people around Christmas, because that love can also create an ache when it's not expressed well, when it's, it reveals something that's missing, somebody that's missing, some things that weren't maybe done the way they should have been done. Uh, For those of you, I mean, everybody here I think knows who I am. There might be some people watching going, wait a second, I thought Preston was going to be here. Uh, Who who is the guy standing there? So um, for those of you who don't know, I'm John Thompson, and Michelle and I have been here for a little less than a year. We live right here in the neighborhood, and um, I'm a professor at Lipscomb. Have been this is I'm just wrapping up my first year. I've been working in the music industry for most of my life, and uh, I also served as a pastor up in the Chicago area for a long time. And We led a home group here in East Nashville and a house church, so got a lot of background. It's been a long time since I've actually taught on a Sunday morning, though, so I really, uh, I miss this, and I appreciate being here. Um, where are we right now? So this is the, the first and only Sunday after Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas, you know the song. Some of you might have heard the uh, urban legend about the 12 days of Christmas being the this Bible. These series of Bible lessons, uh, talk about that, that after church. It's not true necessarily that that's what it was, but it is a fun story and you could use it that way. In the culture, we're counting down the hours to New Year's Eve. Um, it, there's enough in this passage. We could probably sit here all day if you wanted to until New Year's Eve and ring it in together, but I'm sure you guys have other plans. Um, (laughs) You want to do that? um, This is a time where some of us will reflect back on the things that we have accomplished over the last year. Some of us will think about what were our favorite records or our favorite films or what did we do? What did we... not do what, you know what are the things that we are hoping to accomplish in the next year? What what are the things we'd like to stop accomplishing? <laughs> you know, there's there's resolutions. There's all that stuff we know about that, um, and the holidays tend to be a time for that kind of reflection, whether you're thinking about it spiritually or not. Um, Christmas, though, this Christmas season, especially following a In Advent season, if we've done that well, where we've contemplated the darkness, we've sat in the darkness, allowed our eyes to adjust to the darkness a little bit so that we can recognize the light, Christmas can be a time when we can uh, recognize God's work around us and be hungry for it. And so then when these 12 days, when this, this season comes, then we're ready for epiphany. We're ready to follow that light. Um, as we encounter our readings today and we contemplate the implications of this incarnation, which is another big fancy word that means something spiritual becoming flesh, literally incarnate in becoming flesh. uh, We're going to take these images of light, life, and love in this I'm going to focus mostly on John's passage from the gospel reading because the other readings all support that in a pretty mind-blowing way. Um, so, with that in mind, let's just dive in and uh, and see what we find here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do this a little bit differently. I think we're gonna I'm gonna actually reread some of the portions of the of the scripture here. Um, and uh, so we're gonna start with John 1:1, and in the beginning was the Word. So you probably heard that before, but we have to stop right there (laughs) because in the beginning was the word is pretty incendiary. That's a pretty, I mean, right there, I'm, I'm kind of, my mind is a little bit blown. John or his students repeating things that he had taught them. We don't know exactly. doesn't really matter. Uh, he just jumps right in, in this account, right to the deep end, right to the cosmic kind of mind blowing end of the pool. Uh, Matthew starts his Gospel off with this long genealogy, trying to establish who Jesus was by his parentage. And that was accomplished his purposes. Uh, Mark goes right into the action and the plot, and he jumps us right into the story, what's going on. Also accomplishes his agenda and his purpose very effectively. Luke sets up all this historical context. He's, He's the doctor, he's the physician. He approaches his Gospel, they're all telling the same story with different agendas, different purposes. John, though, he goes cosmic right out of the gate. In the beginning was the word. And this idea of the word, this is he's going origin story. So for those of us who like films and we like we're, we're kind of we want to talk about the hero, but we go back to the origin. He's going back to the way, way back. Because when you say in the beginning, Everybody knows, okay, wait a second. We know, we've heard that before. We know what he's talking about within the beginning, right? We're, we're talking about Genesis now. We're talking about in the beginning, not, not at the beginning, but in the beginning. And this idea of the word is also a loaded term. The word is actually the word logos. And logos is something that would have been familiar to both the Greek secular philosophy-minded people, To them, Logos was this guiding principle philosophy that everything in the universe operated by. The Logos was just kind of the vibe or the principle or the universal truth. So philosophers would understand the Logos from that perspective. The Jews that were hearing this or reading this would have understood the Logos to be that word that God spoke that breathed out and everything else was created by that breath. So John is very strategically choosing, he could have said it any number of ways, but he's choosing to address all of that in a very loaded term, logos. In the beginning was the logos. And by saying in the beginning this thing was, he's also saying this Jesus I'm gonna tell you about, he didn't come into being because God created him. He actually existed prior to everything else and through him all this stuff. It's just, all of a sudden, its I wish there was like an orchestra could be playing some sort of trippy music because this is crazy, crazy stuff. Right off the bat, in the first sentence, John is setting a very different kind of tone for how he's gonna tell us about Jesus. hes This is not uh, a simple lesson. This isn't a kid's tale. This isn't a nativity set Flannelgram. this is a trippy, trippy thing that he's going to just say. I'm just going to tell you, in the beginning was the Logos. Okay. Now, also the fact that he says was establishes that this is, uh, this is pre-existing alongside God. And these few words should tip, off us, t- tip us off to the fact that uh, John is going to approach this in an artful way. This isn't the way that you would teach, say, arithmetic or something purely mathematical. He's going creative with how he's going to teach this. And I want to take just a second to say there's different ways that you teach different kind of subjects. And so as students, if we want to engage this, it behooves us to actually take a second to go, okay, how is this teacher, how is this person approaching me with this subject? And I don't know that enough of us, I don't know that I have always done that with scripture. I kind of look at all of it as one thing. In the first sentence here, I think John is inviting us to take and position ourselves a little differently. So how, if if this is artistic and creative and even a little bit subversive, kind of cosmic, how might that invite us to reorient ourselves to what we're about to hear versus if this was historical, if this was linear, logical, genealogical, the way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have done this. John is taking a different approach. So approaching, when I when I encounter artists who are trying to teach me something, I have a different posture to how I'm listening to them. It's usually one of humility and openness. I usually kind of will, will go back with more questions than just arguments. Uh, more of a teachable spirit, like I just want to kind of see where they're going with this stuff. Um, That's not to say that John doesn't have specific meaning, that this is just figurative. Uh, It's not to say that he's leaving all aspects of the interpretation up to the hearer, John has a very specific intention, and he will make some radical, revolutionary assertions about the nature of God, the purpose of humanity, uh, the essence of love, actually, but he's going to unveil all of that in a poetic, not an argumentative way. His method here uses a sort of cosmic, repetitive, deeply symbolic, uh, sophisticated writing style, and it would have been more recognizable to people in that day and age than it is to us. So this is one of those times where it kind of we can, we're invited to engage it that way if we choose to, or we can miss it completely. So John begins his story, the sort of ultimate origin story, with the story behind the story of Jesus. Um, the story continues. I'll we'll get back to the text here. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So here we see John continuing to circle around this concept that the Logos, the guiding concept of the universe, to go to the Greeks, the prevailing logic behind all things was with God and was God at the same time. So this is setting up some tension and some strangeness. How could you be with God and be God at the same time? He doesn't doesn't answer that question. He's letting that question be confusing. Before the creation of time and matter is when all this is happening. So if we think we're going to understand and comprehend or own this, John is hopefully disabusing us of that right off the bat. He's saying, don't, don't think that I'm gonna explain this the way I'm gonna explain how math works, or this is, this is trippy, maybe would be the, I mean, that's my word, not Brother John's, but uh, we can approach it, we can know it in the way that we can know anything, and we may even find that we can trust it. But we can't fully control it, we can't nail it down. And so if we try to do that, we're gonna come away frustrated and probably full of ourselves, because that's not what this text is doing. But we come away here saying, in the beginning, in the beginning of what we all are a part of, God already was. And the word logos was with God and was also God. We can't understand that because we were created. We come after that stuff. So. We also get a concept of the Trinity here, at least the idea that God the Father and God the Logos can both be one God at the same time and yet be distinct persons because they are with each other. And that pronoun he, which we don't need to overly make anything of the masculinization of that, but it does tell us that there's a personhood here that is somehow separate, but also the same. And we can just let our minds be blown by that. That's okay. And this is probably a good spot to draw another distinction Many people today, if you say the word, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind when we say the word of God? The Bible, Bible, right? That's pretty common in our day and age. Maybe wouldn't have been as common in a pre-industrial, pre-printing press where everybody has their own copy or the app version. But to us, when we think the word of God, we think the written word of God. And it's not that the written word of God is not also an expression of the word of God, but this is not referring specifically to the written word of God. This is referring to the logos, that that this manifestation, this expression of God, is God doing things. And it, and Jesus, who Matthew or uh, who John is talking about, is actually part of the Godhead. The Bible is not part of the Godhead. The Bible is the word of God, but this is about the word behind the word of God. <laughs> Again, mind continuing to be blown here. Now, continuing on, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. I like the little repeat there. That's an, another technique that writers like this did. But also, just in case you didn't catch it the first time, here we see what the Logos does, and that is whatever it says, because it is ultimate Truth. So when God speaks, which is the logos, what God speaks comes into being. Everything we see came into being as an act of God's creativity. John's reminding us about God the spirit hovering over the darkness and speaking everything into being. So over the darkness, everything was dark, God spoke, and what was the first thing that came into being? Light. So that's what John is referencing here the beauty of nature is an expression of God's creativity and love. The heavens and earth, the stars and the moon are expressions of God's creativity and love. We are an expression of God's creativity and love. Note, this is about things that were made, not what was done with or by those things that were made. <laughs> so there's another level to this thing. I, we can marvel at God's creativity. Uh, without blaming God for the brokenness that results from the misuse of and by his creation. So there's a room for lament in there when it comes to how this creation is broken and is being broken. But there's also space there to say, but the beauty of that act of creativity is still perfect when it comes to what God initially intended. Verse four, he says, in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This logos, the word, is life. So he's connecting those things directly there. So when this God speaks things into being, they are alive and active. And yeah, this is reflected in nature, plants and animals to be sure. But the ultimate expression of this life is humanity. These creatures created with agency of their own, like us in the image of God, with the ability and calling to create, build, tend the rest of creation. And though mankind is in darkness, which we've just spent weeks contemplating through Advent, the logos, the word, Jesus doesn't just create us to leave us in the darkness. Jesus breathes life into us in the beginning and then brings light to us in our darkness because Jesus is the light and the life. So you see how he's kind of connecting all of these things all the way from the beginning of purpose to why Jesus came. Light is in his essence, an expression of his being. Life is his identity. In him, there is no death. And the darkness has not overcome it, which is very good news. A little bit of a spoiler. If this was being told for the first time, it sets up a nice callback for the resurrection story later. Just like Jesus spoke light and life in the beginning, Genesis, he became incarnate, took on human life under the light of a strange star that guided seekers in the dark. And when he died and was placed in the darkness of a tomb, he rolled that stone away, bringing light and life into that dead place of the tomb. He rolled the stone away as an example of what he intends to do for his entire creation. The darkness has not overcome it. That's a powerful phrase that we need to think about during Christmas time as well. (laughs) Kind of like my neighbor's lights that I cannot overcome, (laughs) but but on a much bigger level. The darkness can't overpower him and his light. Uh, And this term that we translate into English, the darkness haven't overcome it, we can also translate that as understood it. That the darkness can't comprehend it, it's been translated all these different ways because you can't control something you can't understand. You can't overcome something you can't understand. The darkness has no idea what is going on with this level of light, right? We live in that darkness. It, we feel like it can overcome us. It cannot overcome that light. Now, it's important, to, I think, valuable to me anyway, to recognize that darkness in and of itself is not a bad thing. Darkness is used by God all throughout scripture. Psalm 18 came to me this week. God describes this beautifully dark scene as a way to draw attention to light. Darkness can be used beautifully. Artists often uh, use darkness to draw attention to what it is on the canvas that they want us to see. So this is not to say that darkness is anything other than uh, also a part of how God works to draw our attention to the light. Verse 6 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to light. So John, the apostle or the evangelist or the revelator, this is who's writing this. this is, uh, I'm named John. And when I was younger, at some point, one of my youth pastors or somebody said, so who do you think you're named after, John the apostle or John the Baptist? And I was like, well, you know, different times I kind of like to identify. John the Baptist was the wild man with the crazy hair and eating bugs and honey. And I thought, well, I'm, I kind of—he's pretty punk rock. I think I'm, I'm John the Baptist kind of guy. But John the Apostle was pretty radical and, you know, wrote Revelation and freaked everybody out and scared people. <laughs> I'm like, I think maybe that guy. Um, and then I heard the blues song John the Revelator, and I was like, okay, I'm definitely that John. I think I'm—I I, kind of identify with both of them at different times. In this case, John the Apostle, who's writing this, is making sure we understand who he's talking about here. John the Baptist, or the baptizer, because he's non-denominational, I'm pretty sure, um, he was sent to call attention to and prepare the way for the Christ. And we're not going to get into arguments here about, uh, you know, the, the his, historicity of some, some people think that actually John the Apostle, there's different people here. I'm not going to get into that right now. But John prepared the way in a couple of important ways that I think actually we need to think about right now. Because John the Baptist came preaching repentance and baptizing people so that they could recognize Jesus when he came. And I, I think we've skipped, I know I've skipped over this a lot you know cuz i think oh well that happened historically and then and then jesus came and now we don't need to think about that anymore but i think there's a lot of what john the baptist did that if we don't engage that then we have a hard time recognizing jesus as well verse 9 says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So why is it that Jesus could be there in the world, dwelling among his own people, and they would not recognize him? And how do we risk this same obliviousness? John the Baptist came to bear witness to the light he prepared the way, as the prophecies promised. But how did he do this? He did it by calling people to repent and be baptized. But what was going on there? I think about, well, think about what you know already about the story of those who encountered Jesus throughout the Gospels and responded positively, and compare that to the people who encountered Jesus and responded defensively or negatively. John's baptism prepared people's hearts by revealing their brokenness to them. It was like an appetizer for the main feast or a season of Advent in preparation for Christmas. Hearts softened through repentance and humility were then able to see the light when it came. Whereas those who were invested in the kingdoms and principalities of this world were not able to comprehend that light. It's kind of like when you watch It's a Wonderful Life, which I highly recommend you watch. But, you know, Mr. Potter hated everything he couldn't own. Everybody else in the town, there's a picture there of people who are hungry for community. They're hungry for the things there. But the people who are not repentant, they hate what they can't control. And when we look throughout the entire gospel, we see people who are hungry for the light, hungry for what Jesus has to offer. They're the people who are repentant. They're the people who that's, who, that's how John prepared the way, was calling them first to repent so they can recognize their brokenness and need. The people who t- don't recognize their brokenness and need, they don't even see Jesus. They see him as a threat to their power. And let's not miss the invitation that's on offer here also in this passage. It says, to anyone who believes in his name to become children of God, adopted by love, grafted into this new family, brought in from the cold, given a new name, given the right to all of that, but never forced to. We're offered the chance to become children of love. We go on here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given grace upon grace. I love that translation way it says that. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So a lot here. The word became flesh first, woe, incarnate, My buddy Randy would always say, just made meat, carne. That's what that means. The word, this logos, turned into flesh. I'll tell you what, I was 19 the first time he said that, and it's never gone out of my head. (laughs) Something spiritual and ethereal turned into something very, very physical. Lived with us in our mess, dwelt among us. Can sound very, you know, erudite. Lived with us walked with us, experienced life with us, full of grace and truth. This is important. The sacrifice system that had been given to us early was a grace and it was full of truth, but it wasn't complete yet. It was partial, it was limited. And then there's this interesting theological breakdown. The law given through Moses revealed our sinfulness to be sure, which is also a grace, It's also a gift to know that. You can't go seek help for a sickness, a cancer, a bad knee until somebody diagnoses that you've got that problem. The law revealed the sickness, but in this New Testament reading today in Galatians, that law is compared to a custodian. And, And we might The translation we read today might, when it says we're placed in custody, that might sound like we're arrested or we're in jail. Um, Another way of understanding it might be more like a babysitter, like someone given short-term care of us. Not necessarily, like you don't get treated by most babysitters or daycare places, even great daycare places, it's not the same as being with your mom or even your grandma, right? Family is different than a custodian. A custodian makes sure that you're alive that you don't, like, put your tongue in the electric socket or run out in traffic. But family is different. A babysitter doesn't give you their name. You don't change your last name because of your babysitter. The law was a short-term situation. But this grace that comes changes your identity. It changes your name. And in Christ, this grace abounds like a never-ending flood of atonement. Grace upon grace upon grace. It just keeps going. And it changes our identity. And then our Old Testament verse backs this up as well. From Isaiah, the nations will see your vindication that this has all been made right. And all the kings who have glory in this world will see the glory of God manifested in this because you will be called by a new name that the mouth of your Lord will bestow. God will give you this new name. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. That's pretty good news. Wrapping up here, I want to take this back to the beginning, like Brother John did, and think about what all of this has to do with Christmas again. What does God's what does John's cosmic origin poem? tell us about the nativity and the incarnation and how we might think about all of this as we get ready for epiphany in the liturgical calendar and 2024 in the secular calendar. And I'll admit that this reflection, much like the holiday season in general, has caused me to think about the three things I brought up earlier. And if I had a screen up here like I do in my classroom, I might have a photo up here of a Matryoshka doll, which I had found at home and then Left at home. (laughs) So, but you know what a Matryoshka doll is, the nesting doll. So I want you to picture a a Matryoshka doll. Instead of thinking about as as a bullet point list, think about this as in layers moving from the outside in. And I, I know you'll understand what these three layers are. The first one is light. It's the starting point because without light, we are truly lost. We have no idea what's what. The logos, however, brings light. It's both what we see and it's how we see everything else that we see. Starting at the surface with what feels very accessible, I'm thinking about my own origin story. I don't have time to get into all the details right now, but it's quite a tale. And when the holidays come around, the memories come right to the surface. I can almost instantly recall everything from sweet times with my brothers and cousins, aunts and uncles and my, at my grandparents' house, uh, and as Michelle and I work to make our home a place of warmth and love and light for our kids and grandkids, to darker memories of fear and loss and pain that happened around the same time of year. I can easily become nostalgic for the old days or overwhelmed by the expectations of today, usually expectations I put on myself, I can get tunnel vision, only seeing the problem in front of me or a dim reflection of all the things that I wish were different about myself. I know that for many people this time of year, these holidays are a true struggle. While they should be a time of great love, brokenness and darkness still seem to reign over the land. Some struggle with dysfunctional or even outright abusive families, loneliness or the glaring absence of a loved one. This pain is real, and while I have more questions and answers about all of that, I do find hope in the fact that that was exactly the kind of violent, corrupt, cold world into which Christ was born. It is into that kind of darkness that his light shines and the darkness cannot overcome it. And as we come out of our contemplation of the darkness of Advent and our eyes and hearts become adjusted to the light, that should shape how we see ourselves, our neighbors, and our broken families, and our mission and purpose, even our work in this world. In his book, Miracles, C.S. Lewis said, we believe that the sun is in the sky at midday in summer, not because we can clearly see the sun, in fact, we cannot, but because we can see everything else. In the Four Loves, he put it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. He also said, we cannot see light, though by light, we see things. I came across an interview with t bum Burnett when I was about 12 years old, in which he seems to have been reading Lewis, when he said, I learned early on that if you believe Jesus is the light of the world, there are two songs you can write. You can write songs about the light, or you can write about what you see by the light. We'll contemplate light more during Epiphany, of course, but here during this season of Christmas, it's worth taking some time to think about the light that John was talking about, the light that the darkness cannot overcome. We receive that light, we see by that light, we walk in that light and we become people of that light or we remain stubbornly in the dark. The second doll inside the first one, so it gets a little smaller, a little more focused, is life. Inside that, Because regardless of the traditions and the shape of the package on the outside, inside we've been blessed to know, beyond the shadow of the doubt, a few things about how precious and valuable life is. Your life and mine. I'm a member of a large family, full of big hearted, loud, taller than average, hilarious, broken and broken hearted people, including many related only by marriage, adoption, or persistent proximity, meaning they just don't leave. I'm a husband, a father, a grandfather to a growing family that loves me dearly. I'm blessed to have a great group of friends, uh, an increasingly wide circle of acquaintances that um, I never imagined possible. But what many people don't know is that identity has been a challenge for me throughout most of my life. There's a lot of darkness hovering around my childhood and the relationship I had with my biological father. He was a man given to darkness and the truth was not in him. His story was a tragedy and for many years, I'm sure in many ways still, I have wrestled with my own identity as I've strived to prove that I'm not like the man who gave me life. But as painful as that whole situation was, I'm also the adopted son of Tom Thompson. Yes, I have what still feels like a new name, though I have had it since I signed my own adoption papers when I was 18. My dad chose my mom and her four sons and gave us new names, new hope, and new lives. Life is an amazing thing. It's a treasure not to be squandered. We spend most of our year living our lives, but this season of Christmas is a good and appropriate time to contemplate the gift of life, especially as we consider the birth of a fragile baby in first century Palestine. To faithful parents living under the oppression of corrupt rulers, a violent empire, and a disinterested cutthroat culture that God identifies with our weakness, knows our pain, And that as that reality dawns on us, it should move us to honor the value of the lives of those around us and far away from us, regardless of their status, their age, their gender, their culture. May the green colors of Christmas remind us that the God of Christmas is a God of life who invites us to honor the value and dignity of all life. And then lastly, when we get to the smallest doll in the center of that Matrushka doll, we find the central theme, the key to it all, which is love. The same apostle, maybe in text captured by his students, who also wrote in his first epistle, 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another, because love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God, and if you don't love, you don't know God, why? Because God is love. (laughs) It seems the Beatles might've had it right all along, um, Paul, and this would be the apostle, not McCartney, uh, in one of his most famous sections of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the love chapter, we call it that, he didn't, uh, he inserts that in the end of all things, so we go from the very beginning to the very end, three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. In Jesus, we see love incarnate. We see love turned into a person. This whole story of Jesus goes back to before the beginning and reveals light, life, and love that conquers all darkness. And that's what the logos, the word Jesus is all about. The word is love. Sometimes love means revealing brokenness so that we can be healed. Sometimes love means contemplating the darkness so that our eyes can adjust and recognize the light in it and then see everything else by that light, including all of the things that might seem to be love but are actually Imposters masquerading as love. And sometimes love means feasting. and Sometimes love means fasting. I think we all need more than one day to consider all the ways we need to invite the light, life, and love of Christ into our darkness again and how we might bring that light, life, and love to others in their darkness. One day is simply not enough. At Christmas, we feast because the, name, the same love that created the world and us has come into the world bringing light and life and darkness cannot overcome it. Amen? Amen. Amen.